Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Time once again for T. Watson TR on the Bama Online Podcast. It is a Thursday, January the 26th, 2023. Travis Schreier, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, alongside my longtime partner in crime, site publisher Tim Watson. Tim, no shortage of topics on this Thursday. Following Alabama men's basketball's nail-biting 66-63 home win over the Mississippi State Bulldogs, on Wednesday night, of course, we're also going to get into some coaching talk where the Alabama football staff is concerned. First, though, how's it going this morning, Tim? It's going good. It's going good. Hair biter, uh, uh, quite the nail biter last night. Um, interesting game. You kind of knew at some point. We've said it. They were going to run into that type of game. But I will say, I think it's common. You know, a common thought is last year's team probably loses that by double digits because, first of all, Mississippi State, I thought, played – a really good game defensively. They're a good team. They did a lot of nice things shot, you know, probably higher than they're used to shooting almost, you know, over 45% against Alabama did a good job of battling on the boards. Were very aggressive, had almost double digit steals, blocked a lot of shots, contested a lot of shots. So Mississippi state, I thought did a good job overall. I think they're a pretty good team. I was kind of surprised to see their record. I've only seen them twice this year to see that they're now 12 and eight. I mean, I think a lot of it comes from their offense struggling at times, and that you know that played a stretch with Alabama's defense putting the clamps on them. But you know that kind of game, you've got to you're going to have them. You know, you're kind of spoiled if you're an Alabama fan right now with wins so big. But it was good to see them facing adversity, a lot of adversity. That was an ugly. That was an ugly first half, and you don't you know Welch coming up huge before the half. You know he's. He's been dialed up on the message boards. They're waiting to see if he would ever get going. You know, he knocked down a couple of trays. So but that was a big one before the half. There's a lot of momentum going in that locker room. Yeah, I get that thing inside double digits and, you know, still be well within contact of the league lead. And I think you're right. I mean, you think about the week Alabama's coming off of two road games, went to Vanderbilt, went to Missouri. Uh, had the very unfortunate situation of the previous weekend, um, probably shouldn't have been surprised. And also, as you said, from the Mississippi State standpoint, that's a team that was one and six in the league going into that game last night, but was a better team than its conference record would have indicated. And so you expected some urgency from Mississippi State, some borderline desperation at this point. When you're one and six in the league, there's nothing to leave in the bag. And Tulu Smith, the big for Mississippi State. Think about it this way, too. Alabama in the previous two games had missed Vanderbilt's big. He was out with an ankle. And then they missed Missouri's big and Kobe Brown, who was also out with an ankle. So they got another taste of a legitimate big in Tulu Smith, who went for 15 and seven. But you're right. Going into this game, Tim. If I had told you, look, it's going to be a game in the mid-60s, you probably would have liked Mississippi State's chances because that was exactly the kind of game they wanted last night, and Alabama still gets the win. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you again, you know, they are. I mean, I'm looking at Mississippi State's schedule now. They've had a pretty tough road. I mean, they've been at Auburn, played Tennessee twice. So they've had tough games, you know, out of their out of their conference losses. They've lost at Alabama. They've lost to Alabama twice, Tennessee twice, and Auburn. That's five of their eight, five of their seven losses. So um, obviously they played a pretty tough schedule. But I think with Alabama, again, you know, I don't know how much it affects them, but I still think like all the 8 o'clock, 8.30, 9 o'clock starts we saw this year. I also wonder how much that plays in effect. You know, the crowd I thought was fantastic. You know, we had a couple of friends that were there said it was unbelievable. Uh, it looked and sounded unbelievable. So that's not it. But I do think there's a that that opportunity for a letdown. And, and I don't buy the, the, the this team's reading its press or any of that stuff or rat poison. I don't buy that. I see effort. Mm-hmm. Said that in both. I have yet to see a game there wasn't a lot of effort. I just saw last night a team struggling, couldn't really find its shot. I mean, you saw their best players, um, you know, just d- did not have good shooting nights from the field. Part of the credit goes to uh, Mississippi State's defense, but also, I mean, there's not many times you're going to see, you know, a combined three point shooting. What was Clowney? 0 for 6, Miller's 1 for 4, and Sears is 0 for 5. So they're 1 for 15. That's just not going to happen that often. But if it can happen, then they can still win against a pretty athletic, aggressive opponent. Also, you know, smart from that upset, you know, that not an upset, obviously, but smart from that loss at Starkville to Alabama. They had everything to gain. You're right. That's mm-hmm. what they wanted. And they shot really well in the first half. They made plays. They got steals. They got easy baskets. So good to see Alabama fight, win. And I mean, shot 17.9% from three. Um, and again, they did a really good job of knocking down their free throws. You know, that's that's been harped on a lot, but 19 of 22 is huge in a game you're going to end up winning by three points. Yeah, there's still that sort of lazy narrative out there that if Alabama doesn't make its threes, it's very suspect. And and that's not to say threes aren't a huge part of what Alabama does. They absolutely are. They're top five nationally in three-point attempts per game. That is still a staple of who they are as a basketball team. But this team, as you said, they can get to the free-throw line. Alabama's also a top-10 nationally ranked team. Uh, We're getting to the line is concerned. They did it 22 times last night, including 15 times in the second half. Second half, they go 13 of 15 from the line. Picked it up on the glass, too, I thought, in the second half. Tim and just defensively holding Mississippi state to 27 points after the break. Uh, it started with defense and then free throw shooting. And Hey, I think it's uh this is kind of the last couple of weeks have been kind of the Javon Quinterly apology tour. Hasn't it? I mean, this guy continues to play yeah. at an extremely high level. He was huge once again uh, with 14 and four assists off the bench, four rebounds last night for Javon and one turnover. Right. I think a lot of people, and we had a good discussion about this on the roundtable last week. I think a lot of people don't really mature through the season like and adjust to how a player's doing. Quinterly struggled early. We said he would struggle early. He comes off a lower body injury. That is common sense that the basketball player who has a, an injury from his knee to his ankle anywhere in there is going to struggle coming back. He's got to get his sea legs, so to speak. 
everything involved with basketball is knee and ankle related. I mean, you know, you know, beating a press, shooting a jump shot, getting a rebound, all that. So you got to have that. Not only do you have to have your sea legs, but you got to have the confidence to play on that injury. Because if you suffered it while playing the game of basketball, that's in your head for at least for a while. But there's a certain amount of people that still think Quinterly is playing like he did the first couple of games where he did struggle. Yeah. Where he did that first, you know, that first set of games coming through, first five or six games, where he was, you know, careless with the ball at times and made bad passes and all that stuff. But he has slowly played himself to on a role in this team, and he is vital. And last night, I don't know how anybody at this stage could keep, you know, keep that going. I mean, you know, big, big in that game. And the thing about him is the team feeds off of him. He's got mm-hmm. Northeast, you know, you know, he's got that Northeast East toughness. He's like yeah. the Prince of Bel Air in Alabama. You know what I mean? He's from Philly, you know, he's, he's Philly born and raised, or, you know, from that area where he's got that toughness in him and everybody kind of responds to it and respects it. Well, so, and the way that Mississippi state was playing the high ball screens last night, you had to have a guy that was willing to attack the 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 goal, you know, yeah. go drive the basketball to the rim, um, and and look to score uh, in that situation. And I just thought his aggressiveness last night was needed on the ball. That's not to say Jaden Bradley isn't still going to do great things because he is. But with Jaden Bradley and Mark Sears combining for eight points on three of fourteen shooting, uh, boy, Quinterly was huge last night. Yeah, I thought he was big. I thought both the Welsh's shots were big. A confidence build. Oh, yeah. Hopefully he feeds off of that. And that's one of the things we like about this team. You know, you there's no doubt the big three of Sears, Clowney, Miller can take them a long way. But what happens if they struggle? Well, we just saw what happens if they struggle. You know, they can still win. They had guys step up when they needed them to step up most. I continue to be encouraged by Rylan Griffin. He's still not shooting a high percentage, but he's starting to see those baskets drop. So mm-hmm. we've got guys still playing. And, you know, you got to remember, I mean, this is the, – these are all – you're looking at a team full of guys that started their whole life. Like when they were six six years old in the YMCA league or whatever, they were starting. So there's a lot of guys adjusting to different roles on this team, not being a starter, you know, what a mindset it is. But you can see them getting a little bit better – a little bit better finding their role. And Quinterly's did that. And he's mature. You see the people react to him. You see how he handles it. And he's got, you know, he's got that, that Northeast, you know, that, that, you know, I covered AU basketball for a long time. And those kids that come from New York, New Jersey, like he is Philly from those places, they spend a lot of times, the guards getting to the cup, getting to the lip, living in the right, you know, living in the paint. So, uh, you know, crafty in there. So he definitely does that and uh, create, you know, creates opportunities for himself. Yeah, it's it's this it's similar with Quinterly to the narrative about Alabama has to make threes to win. Um, you know, folks just sort of take something and run with it. And absolutely, Javon was having some struggles, as you said, coming back off the knee injury. But you, you still, unfortunately, see a lot of the same laziness in terms of how Javon's play of the last couple of weeks has elevated. You, you don't see the credit maybe as much. And look, I don't think Javon worries about that too much. I know Nate Oates doesn't. And you talked about Clowney. He's really in a situation right now where the threes aren't falling. He goes 0 for 6 from beyond the arc last night. But he's a sub-60% free throw shooter, and he makes 7 of 8 from the line. Those were huge last night. He has 8 rebounds. And I'll tell you, boy, Brandon Miller, you know, we had this discussion last week about is he already – the greatest Alabama basketball player of all time. I, I don't 
I'm still not totally sure you can say that just yet. But when I see him run the length of the court and make a block on a layup like he did and then take a charge like he did in the second half, it, it just makes it more and more difficult to to look away from him in that regard. Does. I mean, he goes from, to me, the most talented for sure, I think, even more than McDice and some of the old school guys. I think talent-wise, he's he's right there at the top. But then when you add, yeah, the little things in, you know, that he Intangibles, does. man. I mean, he is a team leader. He's you know, a dog. I've yeah. talked to people that think, you know, that he's kind of a, a hot dog or a show out. But, I mean, a lot of his energy is aimed at his bench. You know what I mean? They feed yeah. him. It's not like he's over there taunting at the scores table or, you know, standing on the, you know, standing on the scores table or, you know, all that stuff. I mean, this guy feeds, he's there for his team. He's there for his teammate. You know, it's really, you know, it's really odd to see someone that much of a team player. And again, you know, we talked about this with the, you know, the mislabeled blue collar player, the lunch pail guys. I mean, he's definitely that <laughs> he's just super talented. So you know, again, enjoy him as much as you can when you get to see him, and you will get to enjoy him in the NBA. But, um, you know, heck of a team, heck of a win, um, and no win's easy. I mean, we've said this, you know, we said win in advance. Every, you know, when you, I think the thing that's most encouraging for me and entertaining is I had a lot of casual basketball sports fans in the Alabama. <laughs> Um, I'm sure you do a lot. Most of them focus on football and they're there when the softball teams in the world series or the baseball teams beating Tennessee at Tennessee last year, they're there for that, but they don't like, they're not diehards, but I've seen so much basketball from guys. I never thought really knew. I mean, they'll wait, I mean, anybody will watch the Kentucky game. That's like watching the finals of Wimbledon. That don't make you a tennis guy. That makes you watch the championship. You know, you have to have CBS or whatever, but I enjoy seeing these guys go through the nuances of a basketball season. You know, I, I enjoy seeing the, this team will never lose again, that kind of mentality and talking to them about it. So I've loved this season. I've loved everything they brought. The people that brought out of the woodworks, the hot takes, you know, I get a lot of hot takes. I get a lot of, a lot of, when you see him on the message board, you know, two turnovers and get him out of there and, and all that kind of stuff. But I love that we're discussing whether or not yesterday on the round table, J.D. Davidson could even play on this team. The answer is, yeah, he could <laughs> play on this team. The guy's pretty good. And part of me wishes, I mean, the team wouldn't be the same, obviously. You might, you know, you probably, I don't know if you have a Bradley or, a, you know, committing or a Sears transfer and if J.D.'s still there. But J.D. could have fit in on this team. And I think this is the kind of mature team he needed. Because last year, I've always felt like, he needed everybody around him to help him make better, make him better. But I felt sort of like Quinterly and Shaq were more worried about their self last year than yep. anything else. And I always felt that JD sort of deferred to those guys almost as like, you know, you would your big brother. Um, but, you know, JD is, you know, getting called up to the NBA. He's been up five or six times now and hasn't played a lot, but he's doing really well in the, um, in the developmental league. G League, yeah. Um, so Alabama at eighteen and two now on the season, a perfect eight and zero in the league. Goes out of conference on Saturday to travel to Oklahoma to take on the Sooners. They're in Norman, and then it's back into league play with some return matches, return dates against Vanderbilt and LSU. But February, really, man, when you look at the schedule for this team in the month of February, I think it's going to be tough. Obviously, you got Auburn twice. You got road trip to Tennessee, Arkansas again in Tuscaloosa, and then you wrap up 
the regular season at a Texas A&M team right now that is playing extremely well. Went into Auburn and snapped the Tigers' long home winning streak on Wednesday night. So I think February is going to be tough, but it, it it also should be a good thing, shouldn't it? As you try to get ready for March, uh, this is what you're going to want if you're Nate Oates and preparing for the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I fully expect Alabama to lose another game. I mean, you saw last night how hard – I mean, if you just watch – you ain't got to watch basketball. If you just watch the box scores, if you watch the scores every day, you'll see how hard it is to um, to to win basketball games. And, you know, Auburn got blown out last night by Texas A&M at home to be break their, what, 28-game win streak? Yeah. Pretty good there. Um, Aggies are a good basketball team. You know, so Alabama's got them coming up at the end. They go to Auburn, who had the long streak. That game will be off the, you know, off the chain. You have them going to Tennessee, who's a very good team, um, has just completely dismantled most of the teams they played. Kentucky was an anomaly, but then again, Kentucky's playing good basketball. They go to Vanderbilt the other night, win by double digits. So you're seeing teams, you're seeing the, the, you're seeing these teams and how hard it is to win week in, week out, sustain. UConn's another team that lost last night. They've got. You know, I think they've got five or they've six. They've really games. struggled of late. Yeah. yeah, struggled. They peak. You know, it, I think, and this is still not over. The season's not over. But I think if we look back, them beating Bama might be their version of Alabama beating Gonzaga last year, where it kind of peaked right there, and you never really caught back up to it, you know, because they've struggled since beating – and they were better than Alabama that night. Oh, yeah. Now, Alabama's lost two games, and I thought both teams, not overall, were better than Alabama, but I thought both teams outplayed Alabama on that. On that, that yeah. And no that, that's all you can ask for in basketball, but you're looking, you know, Kansas has got multiple, you know, losses. You look at people dropping, Gonzaga's got four losses. So you got Purdue up there with two losses, Alabama with two losses, and Houston with two losses. So you got, oh, Kansas State's got two losses. So you got all of that's the only two losses, one loss team you got in the country. So I'd expect more, um, uh, you know, a loss, a struggled game. I just want to see how they react in those situations because that's going to be so important in SEC play because that's every, you know, that's everything. The NCAA tournament is one and done, you know, loser go home and anything can happen. It, <laughs> They don't call it March Madness for nothing. So it's hard to win a title. It's hard to go to the, you know, the final four. And we were in a discussion the other day and uh, on the message board. And one of the posters pointed out that last year, all four final four teams had six losses or more. So that kind of tells you how hard. I mean, you're not supposed to go undefeated in basketball. Was it Indiana the only team to do it? Uh, 76 Indiana. And if UNLV didn't do it in what? 90, was it 91? It lost the final and they, yeah, if that team wasn't going to do it, especially in the league that they were in with that that, team. Yeah. That was the most, it's going to be hard to do. Unbeatable team Mm -hmm. that lost to Duke. So, I mean, it's hard. And also I'm, I'm a big fan of a believer in you don't want your win streak too long. You don't want to be on a 19 game here going into the NCAA tournament. And you got to win six more in that. Yeah, setting. that's a lot yeah. of wins. I mean, you need to be humble and you can be humbled without losing. I think Alabama learned a lot about their self last night. You don't think they're self reflected. What happened? What do we do? Uh, how did we get here? There's a lot of self reflection in a three point win uh, against a team where you're a double digit favorite. So there, there's learning lessons all around. Still a long season. But I don't know how you're not excited 
about well, it. We're talking about it and uh, talking about it a lot. And just look at the roundtable traffic, the topics, right, yes. on the roundtable and the game threads. Uh, I'm not going to say it's the equal uh, of football uh, for Alabama, but it's it's not that far off, Tim, in terms of interest. I'll tell you what's absurd if you think about it. Me and you can think about it for sure. How's our two coordinator openings? <laughs> Basketball is as discussed as uh, they are. Yeah. Night and day is next Wednesday. Yeah. Dollar general signing day, though, these days. Yeah. Yeah. For Alabama, it looks like non-signing day. But, right. And again, you know, got 30 players in the early period. It's hard to get many more in the late period. Um, I have not heard of a whole lot of a discussion. It's kind yeah, of, take us take us into that. Let's segue into that because um, yeah, it's it's a, it's interesting that that's next Wednesday and it it doesn't figure to be I guess a very busy day for Alabama. No, I mean they did so much work on the on the front end. I mean again, signed 30 players I think counting the transfers. Um unbelievable, you know, just a stupid you know, really it's a stupid class. I mean it's a the, the 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 amount of talent they brought in and most of them being early enrollees they got two transfers coming in i think they had 24 is it 20 can't remember it's 24 23 24 early enrollees plus you get tresman marshall you get cj dupree the transfers from georgia and maryland respectively uh, who are also there early so you know you got you got uh, you know a, a mass amount of riches. You know you can talk about this class as much as you want, and you get to that point where you talk about Alabama's great class, and it sounds like hyperbole because you know if you say he's as good as Smitty, he's as good as you know two. If you start comparing them to guys, it's hard to match up to that. But I'm telling you on paper, this is as good a group as anything they've signed, including 2017. Mm. And I get the ramifications of that that absurdity in 2017 with. You know, Tua, the right outs, you know, Leatherwood and, you know, everybody that came in that group. So, but, on, you know, but it will, as far as I know, I've not heard any names. That doesn't mean Alabama won't have a trip for us. I haven't heard of any visitors. All the focus has been, uh, you know, on, on, on the on the underclassmen and Nick Saban being out there like that is like, <laughs> you know, I talk to a lot of coaches when they're on the road. Coaches get bored. And they call you to catch up coaches at other places that you haven't spoke to in, you know, three, four months during the season and then the holiday season and everything that goes on. And they're just amazed that Nick Saban is still just grinding like he does, like wakes up recruiting, you know, goes to bed recruiting, you know, had this whole week has spent, you know, been been on the road and has a huge junior day. But I think he knows the end is near because, I mean, the dead period's Sunday at midnight. So then you're just down to phone calls. And again, I think that's when, uh, you know, I think that's when he, uh, he, he'll go back to coach mode. Cause we see him work in shift. We talk about this all the, all the time. It's, you know, football mode, there's recruiting mode and they don't always, they overlap a little bit, but usually when it's the season, it's the season, you know what I mean? So, um, although it's quiet, this is a, this is an elite class. And I mean, you can pick, you know, you can pick, you can take out the top five players in the class and pick the next five you liked out of the rest, and it would still be a very elite group. Yeah, that's great and all, Tim. But why are you holding out on us on these coordinator deals? You I don't know? know why they think. <laughs> like, the thing I want them to know, like, I don't lie to them. You know what I mean? I'll not comment if I'm not supposed to say anything, but I'm not going to misdirect them. 
you know, and then the, you know, you get the, the insider stuff and, you know, sometimes I know stuff that the general public doesn't. So I'll say it, you know, like I know, you know, certain things about certain, you know, at this, for this search, I've been able to be the debunker more than the, you know, the, the, the guy breaking news, but I knew confirmation. Yeah. I knew Charlie strong hadn't been, you know, contacted or Kevin Steele and, you know, I've got people telling me that I trust saying Glenn Schumann's never been contacted. So um, also what's weird is the fans acting like Nick Saban's predictable. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. it's almost like, you know, it's 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 he's not predictable. You know what I mean? He's going to do what he wants to do, how he wants to do it. He doesn't confide in many people. He asks opinions, but that don't mean he really shares his opinion with many people. So. Um, I'm excited. I mean, it's, you know, you turn the page, you know, you had a lot of, you know, you had a, you know, you had a fan base that was, that did not like their coordinators, a loud vocal minority, um, who struggled at times, but, um, you know, so I, and also I think the new, you know, it's like having a, you know, you have a dog you love, but everybody, if you get a puppy, everybody loves the puppy, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we still love the old dog, you know, we're like, screw that puppy. I don't know him. Um, but I think the new puppy, Feel comes with having a new coach here, so everybody loves him. But then again, I mean, you <laughs> you never know. I mean, I remember the reaction when you know Pete Golding was named. It was who the hell is this guy? You know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and even Bill O'Brien was oh great a retread, but um, uh, we kind of knew let's, getting- yeah. I, I I think there's time frames to consider is what you, you could talk about maybe more so than even specific candidates, you know, we're going to obviously have those on our hot boards there at BamaOnline.com. But, you know, I checked on this before the pod and it was January 21st of 2021 when Bill O'Brien was announced as the successor to Steve Sarkeesian as the offensive coordinator at Alabama. So I would feel safe in saying we're in the strike zone, right? In terms of when something might come down the pike with these coordinator roles. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, I mean, I, you know, I had the post a couple of weeks ago and it sounds kind of crazy. If, if you're an outsider and don't understand the Alabama program, when you hear Nick Saban's focused on recruiting and not worried about a coordinator, you might go, Oh, that's baloney, you know, but you know, that's Nick Saban. I mean, I would, I would think, you know, I've been asking this question. I think I asked you, but I'd say, does Nick Saban love to coach more or does he love to recruit more? Yeah. It, it might be 50 fit. It might be dead, yeah. even, but recruiting's in, <laughs> recruiting's in the mix. The guy loves it, you know, and he's great at it. You know, he's And he's great. not just doing it for the current cycle, right? I mean, no, this, no. this is two or three cycles at least that uh, he's using this time to sort of seed for absolutely 25s are getting offer i mean he he's out there he's you know he's living it and loving it um so he i think the time frame here i mean obviously you know when we made a i made a post yesterday about jeremy pruitt i mean that's a confusing situation i mean you know this and i know this there's a lot of balls in there there's a lot of juggling going on to get anything to happen there whether it could happen what can happen there's so many if, I mean, you have a, a former SEC coach being accused of something by the NCAA, awaiting the NCAA's verdict on what they think his punishment should be. Me, I'm in the, I mean, I'm in the opinion, and I, in my opinion, doesn't matter in this, 
But the guy lost $13 million. Tennessee didn't have to pay him. That's a hell of a fine, right? Yes. And he sat out two seasons, basically. What I don't know what else penalty there can be for him. Now, that doesn't matter, and I'm not predicting the NCAA. They can give him a slap on the wrist or a 50-year show cause. There's no prediction with him. And I think that's part of the uncertainty you deal with with Jeremy Pruitt is not knowing – or not, not Jeremy Pruitt, but the NCAA. It's not yeah. as simple as the law where if you're on trial for your third DUI, they're going to give you eight months to you know two years. So we got a ballpark of what you're getting. We're going in to see Judge Judy who might give you eight days or 20 years. You know, we got the NCAA being very sporadic and, you know, you add in the fact that what he's accused of, um, we never, you know, the thing that's weird, we've never even heard Jeremy Pruitt's side of the story. We've heard. Well, and and you're not for a while. That's weird because we, you know, that's to me, Jeremy Pruitt's had to hide his side. There's the NCAA, there's litigation. I mean, right. right. But Tennessee sure aired out their whole side of it, you know, getting it to the public. Well, that's why it always felt like to me. Um, it, it it was more as if Tennessee was trying to not pay Pruitt his money, right? And even if it came at the expense of uh, you know, some some involvement with the NCAA, um, you know, it, it's a lot of money. There there's a lot of money involved. Put it that way. Yeah, and again, I mean, it's confusing. It's not as simple as um. Look, I and they were they were looking to move on anyway. And if they could do it at with cause and not pay them, yeah. all the better. Every time I hear for cause, I think of that Office episode. Do you watch The Office? <laughs> I have, but probably not as much well, as Michael, you. Well, Michael, I want you to look this up. I'm going to send it to you. But Michael was trying to fire somebody, and the guy's like, Michael, we can't fire him without cause. And Michael said, I have cause. It's <laughs> cause I don't like him. <laughs> Because I hate him, it was one of those two. That was uh-huh. that was his cause. Uh-huh. Well, don't want don't want to don't want to pay Jeremy, but uh, can can pay uh, Heupel nine million a year now that he's beating Alabama apparently, and and pay the athletic director Danny White. Yeah, big money they, while they're at it. Saying like in the post yesterday, there's no. I mean, in an ideal world. You know, Pete Golden would go to Ole Miss and Nick Saban would hire Jeremy Pruitt and he'd have been recruiting these last two cycles. I mean, Jeremy's an Alabama guy. He's mm-hmm. a great coach. He's a good recruiter. He does all the right. You know, he's everything. He's well respected uh, as a football guy by everybody. So that's an ideal world. And if it was that simple, it would have been done. That's what that's the thing. If it was that simple, it would have been done. Pruitt wasn't coaching last year. I mean, there's mm-hmm. a lot of confusion and I think at some point there's not really an answer because, again, you know, you're dealing with the NCAA and uh, is there's some confusion about what could happen, what might, you know, what, you know, what might, what might not happen. You know, mm-hmm. they give their verdict. Then even then when they give hand down what they 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 think is their verdict, I mean, you're going to have to flip over to, you know, is, is Pruitt going to accept it? Is he going to? Is he going to get hit with a show cause? Is he going to cha- – yeah, but even whatever he gets, is he going to challenge it? I mean, we're yeah. going to – you know, we're going to have to It's go- an elongated situation, yeah. right? And it's already been a long amount of time. Oh, yeah. that That's part of the penalty, though. Yes, that – yes. Is the limbo well, that he's going through. I talked to some people that said this doesn't count as time served, basically. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, to me, that's pretty shitty. Yeah, but it's uh, it's part of it. 
uh, yeah. Hey, um, we've got those hot boards for you and you look, you know, we're going to add to them. We're going to, uh, subtract from them. Um, I don't feel like I've beaten the drum hard enough for my guy, Freddie kitchens, maybe for the offensive coordinator post, you know, but, uh, yeah. uh we'll, we'll see how it goes. He'd be an interesting guy. Um, uh, had, still at I, South Carolina as a senior analyst, and I, you know, I was told. I mean, it was, it was, it was, and I've had people say he was involved in the South Carolina resurrection at the end of the year, uh, especially with the play calling. If you remember, South Carolina had two games; mm-hmm. they just was out of their mind. Uh-huh. See and beat Clemson, uh, scored thirty-one on Clemson. You know, lit Tennessee up. Um, you know, obviously that game changed when the starting quarterback went out for the balls, but they still were scoring at will. Spencer Bat Spratler looked back looked like uh yep. Virginia Tech. I mean, he was like tearing them up. So I was told Freddie was involved in that play. Um and this is a guy that doesn't even really think about him as an Alabama guy. It was more of a guy criticizing who was their offensive coordinator at the time, Satterfield. He was more like Satterfield didn't do that, Freddie Kitchens did it. So I was surprised wow. that, but yeah, I think the uh, offensive coordinator is the one. Defensive coordinator is always the most difficult because it's so close to Nick Saban's, you know, hard. I think offensive coordinator is the easier one because, I mean, you know, that talent they've got is going to make a make an offensive coordinator's, you know, life a little bit easier. And you better have some asbestos draws though with the fan base. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because the scrutiny, the scrutiny is coming. Uh, it really, yeah, it's just Alabama in general. So you're going to want to stay with us right there at BamaOnline.com. Certainly the round table. We're going to keep you updated. I promise you, we're not going to withhold anything as we know it or coaching hires or anything else are concerned involving Alabama football and certainly hoops as well. That's all going to be for you right there on the round table at BOL. So winners and losers from the, uh, Bill O'Brien departure. Um, how would you go about that? I think from the fan base perspective, that's obviously more to the Patriot side of things. But, you know, what are some some things that that Bill was able to do during his two seasons that you think Alabama will continue to benefit from moving forward? Because there were positives. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I mean, I'm a firm believer that had Robert Mechie and Jamison Williams been healthy, Alabama would have won that championship that year. Um, that would have been, you know, back-to-back years with uh, with a uh, um, championship. National championship, that, it, yeah. It definitely did some things. And, I, you know, the thing that was curious for me, the frustrating for me, is I don't think the offense as a whole wasn't good. I thought it was very good for the most part. It was those streaks of not being good that would really sort of bother me. You'd see – you know, in both losses, you saw three or four, you know, possessions in a row, it feels like, that were three and out. You know, like at LSU, if you even, you know, if you hit on your average points and yards in that first half, the points, you, you're, you've you got a decent lead going into the second half where you really lit it up and you probably win that football game. I mean, obviously the loss of Tennessee wasn't on the offense, but, you know, even, you know, even against uh, Kansas State, you would see like it would struggle at times. There'd just be a lot of quick three and outs. Um, and I'm not an offensive guru by any. Don't 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 think I am. Don't claim to be. Don't watch YouTube videos trying to be. But I never understood the whole big play, hurry up, go back to the guy that had the big play. And you know, Kansas State was a 
example for me, I mean, Gibbs had a 70-something yard run, and you run back to the line to hand him the ball real quick, you know, and he loses a couple. But I think overall Bill O'Brien did a good job. Um, it wasn't perfect. And, you know, you kind of spoiled where you saw the, you know, you saw the 2020 team. You're coming off that. And it was just a, I mean, I would say the 2020 team is one of the best offenses ever. Ever. I mean, yeah, it's, right on the heels of 2019 LSU, too. And that's I mean. what was amazing. LSU 2019, I was like, Jesus, these guys are so good. And they were good. Look at Chase and Jefferson and Burrow. And I mean, they were loaded. They had a first round running back. They had everything on that team. Such a great team. So I thought that's the best we're going to see for a while. But the next year, literally unstoppable. And that's with Waddle, missing Waddle over half the year. So mm-hmm. uh, that was a great, you know, that was a, so you follow on the heels of that, come in here and have to deal with that. You know, wide receiver position was down. I don't think it was just what you're used to. Offensive line was down, but I think overall he did a good job. I would say that the offense really didn't cost a lot of, you know, cost them a championship. They had moments of being hard to explain last year's all two years ago, Auburn's game. I still to this day, I mean, I don't know if I've watched that game more, you know, two or three times, at least all the way through. It's still hard to fathom how much they were shut down and, you know, had, had moments this year where they struggled. It was just a very, I guess inconsistent based on what Alabama's seen. So but definitely some good things. But I do think Mac Jones is the big, big, big winner in all of this. So I think uh, the Patriots are a playoff team again next year with O'Brien working with Mac. What do you think? I uh I think that's they a are. tough division, man. I mean that's I a know, hell of a division right now. I don't know why the hell the the, the Patriots refuse to draft or obtain good wide receivers they always looking for the lacrosse guy to play (laughs) northeast the former college quarterback like julian edelman yes i don't understand that i mean they had went and got one great wide receiver randy because it worked once (laughs) it worked once or maybe twice so now that's belichick's mo yeah i mean you gotta put some guys around mac mac jones i mean they've got to put Talent, but with Bill O'Brien, I do think. I mean, Mac, that last year, I don't know what was going on. That was not a fun year for Mac. Um, that was not a good offensive. Mac should have got OC pay too, in addition to his quarterback contract, because it felt like he was he was uh, he was having to do as much of that as as what the Patriots had. Well, for a quarterback, it's personal. Of course, it's personal because you know a fan sees what the quarterback does. He doesn't see what the offensive quarter coordinator's doing. So, I mean, you have, you know, it's like Tua. Tua went from, okay, you know, you know, not that great, a bust to, you know, having a Pro Bowl type of year, you know, until the injury. But he, uh, and that was a lot to do with just the play calling and the talent around him. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, they get Tua and they're like, we want this to be the best it can, so what do we do? Let's get Tyreek and, and Waddle. Let's get Tyreek. Yeah. Hill and Waddle and put them around them, you know, and then, you know, the Patriots are going to have to get a guy, a, a couple of, a couple of targets out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the wide receivers are so big. If you look around the league, you don't have to get them in the top 10. I mean, Justin Jefferson was like the 20 something pick in the draft. He was the fifth wide receiver t- chosen. And the 49ers guy right in IU, he's doing well. You know, there's a lot mm-hmm. of out there. You get them in the second and third round, but you're going to have to commit to them. And you're going to have to uh, do so. I think Mac, you know, long, you know, Mac Jones is the winner in that. Um, I feel like the Alabama fans are happy, so I guess they're the winner. 
that he's going on. Um, and I, I do look forward to the change with the new quarterback, with new you know wide receivers emerging and a new offensive coordinator. There's a lot to be excited about. To me, it's still exciting when I don't know the answers. So I don't know the answers to this. Going to be an interesting dynamic this time around with the new OC because there's not an OCOL coach tandem coming in together. Remember when Sark came in and Kyle Flood came with him mm-hmm. from the Falcons? Last time around, you had Bill O'Brien and Doug Marone together. Uh, I think you're totally fine with Eric Wolford as your offensive line coach. It's just going to be a little bit different from that perspective, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you don't. Yeah, the tag. You know, it's the. There's no really tag team duo. I think you're going to bring in the coordinator. Look, if you're the Alabama core, I mean, if you're a coordinator anywhere else, and Alabama's recruiting you or talking to you about a job, I mean, first thing you're going to do is pull up the the roster and the signings, you're going to like what you see. You know, it's going to be hard. You're going to have to be at a a, a Georgia or maybe a USC or an Ohio State or, you know, somebody at that level to find more talent on paper. So there's a lot to sell a guy like that. Now, at the same time, it's not, hey, come put your system in and Nick's going to let you do what you want. That's not happening. I mean, Nick Saban's going to be a heavy part of that offense, not as far as calling plays, but it's basically going to be his playbook. You know, it's going to be, you know, that kind of stuff, and then people add little wrinkles here and there. So it's going to have to be a perfect match. Look, you don't get to be on top of the mountain and work with anybody other than people you like. <laughs> you know what you mean? You just basically surround yourself with whoever you like. So yeah. uh, there's a lot that, you know, a lot that goes on with when Nick Saban chooses a coach, I imagine. Hey, Tim, let's get into the BOL roundtable mailbag, and let's start with Iyoshi23, who asks, with all the success of Alabama quarterbacks of late, how do you rank them? I think a lot of people would possibly have a different opinion on who would be the best. I still think I have Tua as my favorite, but I know it is very subjective. Well, Dioshi, kind of like Ty Webb, I rank them by height, you know. To steal an old Caddyshack line. No, I think uh, it is a tough discussion, a uh, tough uh, answer to come up with, Tim. I don't know. Well, how do you see it? I don't think you. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer here. Honestly, I would say Mac was in charge of the offense I enjoyed the most. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say I didn't enjoy the other offenses because obviously I did. I thought they were good, but that 2020 season, all SEC schedule, you know, COVID. You know, Smitty's Heisman, Najee Harris coming back and not even telling us, just showing up with a backpack. Uh, that team, Mac led, was great. Was great. I loved it. So that'd probably be my favorite season of a quarterback. But man, damn, I've, you know, 2021, Bryce winning the Heisman. You know, I mean, gosh, that's a tough, it's tough. I don't know. I, I, I go to a still for me. Um, because he'll always have the second half of that Georgia game in the in the national championship win in Atlanta over Georgia. And not only that, but he was really good for a lot of 2018. Not so much against Georgia in the Southeastern Conference game, Southeastern Conference Championship game. And that was before he had the ankle injury late. Jalen comes off the bench, uh, gets it done uh, in the fourth quarter against the Dogs. Uh, and then you had the 
the the loss to Clemson out in in Santa Clara. I think that sort of blurs it a little bit with Tua before you even get to 2019 with the injury. I think Tua's performance against LSU in 2019 probably doesn't get talked about it enough because it was in a loss similar to to Bryce against Tennessee in, in 2022. Um, but both those guys were less than 100% and threw for over 400 yards in those games. So I, I would put those two up there together. And Mac, I, I love Mac. I just love uh, you know what Mac brought to the mix intangibly as much as anything else. Um, I wouldn't say he was the, the most skilled of the three, um, but he damn sure thought he was. Yeah, can't convince him otherwise. For me, I don't know how you would rank him. I mean, I guess you know, to me, I don't know how you rank him. I mean, I, to me, it's moments. You know, I still remember Jalen's pass against Mississippi State, <laughs> one of those beautiful passes I've ever seen. I, I remember Jalen coming in in that Georgia SEC championship game in the second half and winning. Yeah, the Clemson long touchdown run to put him up. Uh, you know, in the national championship game late, I remember the moments. Two is second and twenty six. Two at Tennessee where he just was like unbelievably gouging people. Yeah. You know, Mac Jones is shrugged against Michigan in the season next year. And then Bryce, you know, I don't know Bryce to me. I mean, I don't know. I'd probably say Bryce is probably the most talented overall. Pure passer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and also he's, he, you know, he never got enough credit in college or high school, but he's elusive. Yeah. He can extend, no doubt. Yeah, I mean he dot. I mean he, you know he knows the five D's of dodgeball. He did dodge. dodge. I think he had the most on him. I think that's fair to say, yeah. right? Also, I feel like he had by far the less talent around him. Yeah, especially this last season. Yeah, I mean, Tua played with an NFL, a group of NFL starters. Uh, Mac played with. Yeah, you think about that eighteen offense. I mean, come on. Oh, it's ridiculous. I mean, nobody <laughs> even talks about. It. Everybody's like, yeah, Josh Jacobs on that team. Guy yeah. led the NFL in rushing. He's an all-pro running back. It changed Alabama's fans' mentality because Irv, you know, Irv Smith caught passes. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah, he caught him. He was wide open. Nobody, <laughs> nobody even thought about Irv Smith in that offense. I mean, you had the you, know, you had the rideouts. You had friggin' Josh Jacobs. You had Damian Harris, right? Yeah. I mean, you yeah, had loaded absurd, backfield. Absurd, absurd. Najee was on that team. Yeah. I mean, you had an absurd amount. Well, think about the freshmen that were on the field together in the second half of that Georgia game in the national championship game in 2018, man. I mean, it was Ruggs. It was Judy. It was Tua. It was Najee. You had Leatherwood in there because Jonah Williams got hurt early in the third quarter. That was a that was like a freshman team out there on offense for a lot of it. Yeah. That ended that Bama doesn't play freshman. <laughs> I pretty much squashed it. Yeah, that 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 yeah that that ended it for a lot of coaches who had been preaching that. So tough question. I don't have the. I mean, you, yeah, it, our answer to that one is yes. Yes, I could not argue anyone down, whoever they chose, and I don't even know who I who I have the best. Morris C two in the roundtable mailbag. Uh, says you could you guys discuss from your perspectives the differences between how a successful OC and a successful NFL OC game plan and call games to my uneducated eye it seems really different as to what will de- determine success 
Yeah, I think the urgency there is just different. I mean, the NFL is so clinical. Yeah. If you, I mean, if you watch the box of coaches in the box, the the reactions, you know, totally different. I mean, the NFL knows. I think the NFL goes into every game knowing they can lose. You know, that's that's just the NFL. It happens all the time. I think more pressure on a college coach. It's more emotional. It's more urgent. You know, you got. I think with the NFL, it's just more professional. It's more like um, corporate. It's almost like corporate America. You know, in college, it's freestyle, and you got Nick Saban in your ear. You got Kirby Smart in your ear. You know, you got Ryan, you hear these coaches, they're definitely talking to their other coaches this whole time. I know the NFL probably does, but then again, the NFL probably trusts them. The pace feels different, um, less creative. The NFL is not really, mm-hmm. it's hard to be original in the NFL. You know, it's hard to come up with something new because you really just got to get the best on the best in the NFL because they're going to adjust, you know, they're going to adjust to whatever offense you know, you see an offense in the NFL. you got in the NFL. You've got to be willing to break trends because you're right. The talent level is pretty much on par across the league, and you're going to see your division opponents twice. You don't see them just once like you do in college football in a season. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I just think it's a different mindset. I mean, you see, I mean, you saw Steve Sarkeesian called plays. Uh, with the Atlanta Falcons. And Plus, they, you got the coordinator or head coach in the quarterback's ear in his helmet, right? That right. that's different. Yeah, that's yeah, it's different. I mean, but as far as how you get the plays in, when Sark was in the NFL, nobody ever said he was a great play caller that I remember. Mm-hmm. And most Falcon fans wanted him hired. But when he was at Alabama, when he was at Texas, when he was at USC, they thought he was a great play caller. I think it's because he had more freedom. Mm-hmm. He had more freedom and it's, you know, you, you know, he had more freedom and he can experiment more. You can add more wrinkles. I don't think also NFL players aren't like, Hey, let's try this this way. You're not really, <laughs> you're not really getting the NFL players to do it the way they don't want to do it. It is interesting to see how trends go back and forth though, between college and NFL. It seems like you saw more college coaches going for it on fourth down regularly and now you're seeing that even in the NFL, more coaches willing to go for it on fourth and one from their own 42 in the second quarter, things like that. And look, the difference in talent is everything. At the college level, if you're the better team, you're going to call the game that way, that we have the better players. We don't have to get too crazy. Uh, I think in the NFL, you're right. It's more clinical, more clean. I think that's the emphasis as much as anything, just playing clean because you have to be patient in the NFL, understanding that in most of these games, it's going to come down to the final five or six minutes. I mean, that's why we all watch red zone on Sunday, right? But for the, the golden hour, when it's six games in that noon central window that are coming down to three points or a touchdown, with two minutes to go, yeah. you know, you're tr- you're trying to call the game in a way in which it's more complimentary because uh, you, you don't want to lose it in the first quarter because if it plays out like it typically does in the NFL, uh, it's going to be a game that comes down to the lot, the final five or six minutes. Yeah, I agree. Doctor back in the mailbag. Time will tell. He says. But this recruiting class looks like it could be the best ever. Ironically, the in-state DL class may have also been the best ever. Yet we don't sign top 100 players. Woods 
Collins, Parker, and Falk. Thoughts? Did we recruit Parker and Falk? How do we also see the DL rotation playing out next season? Dr. Pack, he wants to talk DLs, Tim. Yeah, they did not recruit Parker or Falk. No offer, no push. None of that None of that happened with them. They obviously did recruit Peter Woods. Um, with Peter, I mean, we've said it multiple times. They Clemson did a great job with Peter Woods, um, and he wanted to go to Clemson. You know, felt connected there with his faith with Dabo and Clemson, and they uh, – they simply won the recruiting battle. Um, you know, with, with Kelby Collins, it was a little bit of Florida, had an NIL package that was really good, um, and that's where he was most comfortable going. I mean, with the NIL, it's going to come down. It's like art. You know, well, you know, your, your, you know, your budget is your budget, and where you think something, the value is on something is, is pretty cut and dried for you, and I think the successful schools will do that. Florida was a little bit looser. With their NIL, I think we saw that. They lost their number one recruit, Rashada. The number thrown around was they promised him $13 million and couldn't pay him. Mm-hmm. So a little bit different there. But, I mean, I mean, it's recruiting. There's this – there's not – there's these state lines are just like in your mind. They're not really – nobody has to stay in state. If that was the case, Caleb Downs would go to Georgia. Justice Haynes would go to Georgia. I could go down the list of players – Caden Proctor would have stayed in Alabama. I mean, that, their fans ask the same thing. You're just simply not going to get everybody you want. There's, I've never seen a class where they got everybody they want uh, or even close to it, to be honest with you. But this class is about as good as it can get. I think if you look at the defensive lineman, I like the defensive lineman. Edric Hill, Edric was a guy they char- – they, Jordan Renard was another one that's really blown up. You look at Edric, who's uh, – Edric Hill, who's from Missouri, a guy I really like. He was a top target early on in the process, even with Peter out there, even even with Kelby out there. So they got guys they liked. Obviously, I believe they would have loved to have landed one of those two guys. Um, Woods being the, you know, the, you know, Kelby did a great job in the All Star game um, of up in his stock, but you know, Peter was just consistent. So um, again, you're just not going to get everybody you want. I think that's what it boils down to. Also asked about the rotation for next season. I think that starts with Jaheim Otis right there in the middle of that defensive line. And, you know, you're hopeful that you get Justin Aboigbea back after the neck injury a year ago. Um, you know, and then you're looking for some other guys to step forward that uh, Tim Smith has been a starter, uh, was a starter for a good bit of the 2022 season. So uh, he's an option for sure. Jamarian Latham we saw more of. Later in the season, you got a big guy in Tim Keenan in the middle of that defensive line. Uh, Jamil Burrows, again, um, a guy that you expect to be in that mix. But you said it with the injection of some new players and some first and second year guys that you're expecting to take another step. Yeah, for sure. They, you know, I think Otis is the key there. You know, you yeah. got to hope some of these other guys that can come in and play. It's really hard for a defensive lineman to come in and, um, play right away as a freshman it helps that they're there early james smith it's a guy i really got high hopes for i mean he's you know he's six foot three 300 plus pound guy but he's quick and the thing i like about him is he's mean he plays hard on every play you got to kind of chill him out even in practice i've been told multiple stories of where they're relaxed you know let him run the play you know with james he's an intense guy you got to control that we saw that with barmore you know, they got to adjust to the defense, but there, this class has got guys. And also you got guys coming back and, you know, to me, we're not talking nearly enough about Justin coming back. Yeah. I don't think it's official. 
like announced he's back. He he had a tweet that said back. <laughs> that confused everybody, but um, um, I think he has been cleared to play, and I think if there's no setbacks, he's going to play next year, and that would be huge. I know they're being very cautious, you know, with a any kind of injury that involves the neck or the spine. They're being very cautious, as you expect. But he's going to he was he was having a fantastic year to me, so he's mm-hmm. a really big addition to that staff if he can uh, that team if he can come in there and play that defensive line. Be rich in the roundtable mailbag. Ass. Bama player with the most to gain from a strong senior bowl week next week. Of course, that's an annual tradition. A lot of Alabama representation uh, for the game this time around. Although I did see where Jordan Battle announced a day or so ago that he will not participate in the senior bowl. So uh, when you look at this list, the Byron Youngs, the DeMarco Hellams, DJ Dale, Emil uh, Echior, Tyler Steen, Cameron Latou. Uh, which way are you going with that one, Tim? Yeah, I'm really curious to see what Byron Young and DJ Dale do. I, mean, I, I think DJ is going to have a lot of teams that like him because of his size. I mean, the NFL, a lot of the run defense is just holding your, you know, holding your line, you know, keeping somebody from blowing you off the line or, um, you know, you know, taking on two blockers. He's a big guy. He's a guy that could increase his stock. Uh, Byron Young's a guy I still like and think he can shine in a, in a, in a four defensive line setting too. Um, other than that, I think most of these guys are what they are. You know, it's going to come down to testing. You got Henry out there and, you know, I think Latou's going to have some guys that really like him. Um, he's almost that hybrid wide receiver and tight end. So uh, for the most part, you know, you're not looking at any first day guys here. You know, you got some, you know, you know, some of the feedback I got was, you know, a guy like Byron Young or Steen could be a, you know, a second round guy, but more than likely a third. But most of these guys kind of are what they are. You know, the question on Helms is going to be how well he runs. The questions on Henry Toa Toa is going to be how well he runs. But they're good football players. They're going to have film. You know, I still think Henry's built a little bit more for the NFL than the college game, which to mm-hmm. me is more wide open. But there are NFL teams that are going to like what Henry brings on the field and also off the field. You know, inside. Yeah. Backers aren't known for staying out of trouble. You know, they, the inside backers are known for being wild and crazy guys as a whole in the NFL. And Henry's certainly going to, you know, be a guy that's going to interview well. And, you know, he's going to have, you know, you know, his quote coach is Jeremy Pruitt, Nick Saban, saying good things about him. Yeah. And he's a guy that can run the show. Uh, he gets it. He's able to get people lined up. I think there's a lot more value in that than people realize. Uh, so that should help Henry. I'm with you on DeMarco Hellams. I'm interested to see, uh, is, is he more than a box safety uh, at the next level? Can he cover well enough if needed against tight ends? Um, and I think Tyler Steen, too, when you just talk positional value, if he really is a tackle at the next level, that certainly helps him. He does have some guard experience in his background as well. So a big week coming up for the Alabama contingent. Down at the Senior Bowl. Jam Bama in the roundtable mailbag checks in with a gun to the head. Of course, he's going to have some fun with you, Tim. Gun to the head. Why do you withhold information from us? The board wants to know. Um, He's also in on this. We got the conference championship games in the NFL coming up this weekend. I guess if you're an Alabama fan and you don't really have a dog in the fight, I don't know how you're not pulling for the Philadelphia Eagles, right, this weekend. Um, with Devonte and and Jalen and Landon Dickerson, there's been this. Nazio. 
Joe Pruder of Pat Sertain is in the. Uh, yeah, you know, Jeff Stoutland coaching that offensive line for the Eagles, right? Yeah, there's some, there's some, there's a Bama field to that team. Um, so yeah, I agree. I mean, I think you have to be looking at the Eagles. I've been, you know, I follow, I follow most of the NFL guys. I find coaches I, you know, I, I covered at Alabama or no, I've, I've watched them, Derek Ansley and, you know, with the Chargers who suffered a brutal loss, Carl Scott with the Seahawks and, you know, Penangio, some of those guys, I follow their teams just rooting for them to have success. But, um, yeah, I think Eagles, you know, who are you going with in those games this weekend? I got the Chiefs, Eagles. Chiefs, Bengals, Eagles, uh, Niners. I got the Eagles and the Chiefs, but man, that Joe Burrow, he's a nasty human being. I mean, he, he is. is. And though, I mean, what they did to the Bills, yeah, dissecting them, you know, and everybody's yeah. talking about the, uh, the the defense. Did you mm-hmm. see what the defense did to Josh Allen at home, Stephon Diggs at home? I know. That Bengals defense is fantastic. That is the resume. You don't send your resume as the defensive coordinator for a job. You send that game film. Somebody's quarterbacks named Joe, man. Burrow, Namath, Montana. He's got some of both those guys in him you gotta when be, you watch him. You got to work hard to be great because otherwise you're just Joe. You're average Joe. Yeah, you know, nobody wants to be. Songs about you walk away, Joe. We call coffee, Joe. Yeah. Girl named Joe. You You're in dodgeball. You got to spin yeah. it. To the get, average Joe's. Yeah, you got to spin it to get to get noticed. So, and he also asked, I see about who the claims on Jalen Hurts. Look, we don't. <laughs> Jalen has decided. Jalen, yeah, Jalen, but. Uh, I mean, he's he he Brad, he's more of an Alabama guy than almost you know he talks about Bama more than a lot of the guys that graduated. I mean, that actually finished their career career at Alabama. Yeah, yeah. He's not shy with it. He's not debating it. You yeah, know, it's not you know. And again, the same goes for Jamison Williams. I'm not saying he's a Bama guy. Jamison's saying it. He's made it clear he's an that's, Alabama guy. That's what it should come down to. Well, that's how anyway. it works. You're a Jags fan. I'm a Saints fan. <laughs> You know, I mean, you are what you know you are. You, you get to say what you are. Everybody well, we got Alabama-Oklahoma basketball Saturday. Maybe that could settle it, you know. I still don't know how that game's happening, but anyways. Uh, Jam Bama asked me about uh, my upset level after the Jags loss um, to the Chiefs, and he kind of touches on it here. I'm, I'm still happy with the direction of that franchise. How could you not be? Doug Peterson in there as the head coach, uh, definite massive upgrade over the debacle that was Urban Meyer. Uh, you got your quarterback set with Trevor Lawrence. You're trending in the right direction. Obviously, still have some pieces to add to that team, but I mean, they're looking like a legitimate ten-year contender there in a changing AFC South. So I'm 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 okay with it. You know, I'm okay with it. Sure, can get a lot better. Yeah. I think they're yeah. off. You know, I still don't think Christian Kirk's a wide receiver one. Um, I think they well, can, that's going to be interesting with Ridley joining that next year because they yeah, traded for him and he'll be reinstated. You know, that could be a sneaky great sneaky pickup. Deal, you know, getting him there because the guy can play football. Mm-hmm. That's one thing he can do: he can play football. They've got to make some decisions on some guys. I think Evan Ingram was on a prove it type deal for one year. Did he? Um, I think he did. Arden Key, they it was a revelation as a pass rusher more so than their first pick, and Trayvon Walker uh, in 2022. So they got some things they got to figure out moving forward. But 
Jam Bama also asked him in the early stages of 2024 recruiting, if you had to focus on only one position for this class and get top picks at that spot, which would it be? Which position are you looking at right now and saying, man, if I could just take the top guys at that spot, this is the position I'd look to. Um, I haven't looked deep in this class. To me, it's always going to be about offensive linemen, defensive linemen, a quality quarterbacks. Always going to be the first three things I look at. Defensive back would be a priority for me as well. I haven't looked deep into this class. I know that the cornerback class should be better than last year, so I'd probably go with the corners. Um, a few of them are starting to come off the board, but there's a lot of guys – uh, you know, out there. And again, you know, we're going to see more emerge when the camps come. So to be honest, I'm just, I'm following the offers, but I'm not de- diving deep until after next Wednesday into a lot of film. Just yet. Uh, Juice 343 as we wrap up here in the mailbag. We got to put a wrap on this thing. If Caden Proctor is good and ready enough to come in and take over the vacant tackle spot, is Elijah Pritchett versatile enough to move inside? That's the first of his two questions. Um, and they've done it in the past. I mean, we've seen tackles go inside if that's what they need. It's all about the best five, as we know. Uh, and then they can make it work from there, right? Yeah, and he's an athlete. I mean, everybody talked about what an athlete he was. And if I remember correctly, he had defensive line film and in high school. And you could see that side to side. And you could see him getting in there and putting his paws on people. So I think that's possible. Caden's, you know, Caden, you know, Caden's got the skill set. Um, he's going to, again, he's going to get stronger just to the speed of the game, but he really did well at the all American game. I thought, I thought he, you know, he held his on. So on, so I think he did, you know, good job there. And it could be that he starts inside and maybe Elijah Pritchett yeah, is, is that tackle. There's a couple different scenarios, right? We've seen him bounce out. At this stage, as we wrap up here, Juice343 wants to know, is Ryan Williams the most can't-miss in-state prospect of all time, the future Alabama signee, still a couple of classes down the road, uh, outstanding wide receiver, most can't-miss, though, Tim, of all time? Wasn't there another pretty good wide receiver from down that way that that wasn't much of a – that was a pretty good can't-miss prospect in his own right? It's hard, you know, to, to, to make anything a can't miss. And the thing about Julio is if Julio was in this class, he would be as big as Ryan if he was a sophomore. We just didn't have the same huddle, the social media to sharing. But Julio was a monster as a sophomore. I think he was still going by Quinteris at the time or was close to then when he switched. I was introduced to him as Quinteris, his real name, which is – it was always odd one, but he definitely was sh- showing out early freshman, sophomore year. So I think that Julio's probably, you know, at that same level, um, Andre Smith, certainly, you know, I hate to say can't miss cause I don't want to jinx any kids, um, with something that happens bad knee or, you know, something like that. But i really felt confident Andre was going to be a successful football player. I felt, you know, confident Julio Jones was going to be a successful football player, what about Jamarcus Russell when he was coming out? I didn't never have a great feel for Jamarcus. I saw him okay. play AAU basketball. I saw him play high school basketball. With Jamarcus, I always kind of wondered, like, you know, mentally how much he loved it. I mean, it's, it's easy to act like I was a guru now, you know, you know, in hindsight. But, I mean, I know I sat with him and talked to him. The guy loved basketball. 
he loved basketball and with football, he was good at football. I think he liked football, but you know, like his highlight tape, he sent me, he didn't have any of his runs on it. He was like, totally. I'm just a drop back passer. Um, you know, I'd be curious to know what, what his feelings were, how much he, you know, it's like Greg Oden told me, I asked Greg Oden, the basketball player. He said, I said, you must love basketball. You play in all these tournaments and he played on a loaded AAU team and they were somewhere every week. And he said, no, not really. And I said, really, why do you play? And he said, well, cause I'm tall. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> that's not, that's not basically I, I play to shut him up. So I always wondered how much Jamarcus loved football. He was really talented though. I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously you saw him at LSU, but he was a heck of a, he was a, he was a good basketball player too. Not a, not the level he was football, but I know he loved basketball. He, when I talked to him, he loved basketball. Talked to them. Well, there you go. And that's going to do it for the roundtable mailbag this week. Sorry we didn't get to everybody. We'll do better next week. I'm going to tell you two more as on the can't miss. Brody and Carnell, which were two yeah. of my Leon evals. I thought basically they, they couldn't miss. Carnell, I think, maybe the best high school football player I've ever seen. There you go. So I'm going to see and throw out to Brody. I want to show how old I am. Let's go. Yeah, there you go. You might catch some heat for some love for the Auburn guy, but uh, I, I find it hard to disagree with you. I think everybody knows Carnell's a good football player. <laughs> Don't at me with that one, guys. They're coming for you. They're coming for you again. All right. Oh, man. All right. Thanks to everyone for uh, helping out with that, and thanks to you, Tim, uh, once again, taking the time. Always a lot of fun. I appreciate it. We'll see you guys next week. Come hang out with us on the roundtable, the premium message board of choice for Alabama fans around the globe. And if you haven't already subscribe to the Bama online podcast, please. And if you'd leave us a rating and a review, that would be greatly appreciated as well for Tim watch Travis Schreier. Thanks again. Until next time. So long, everybody. It was a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo. And they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo. Thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future. New documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.